Hey there, this is one of those episodes where I'm going to do a warning at the beginning that it's a bit atypical than the usual broken silicon. You know, I did a warning like this, for example, before the Dave Eggleston episode where I said that you should know it's going to be a more technical discussion as usual, but I thought it was an important one, and if you enjoy Broken Silicon, you would probably enjoy it even if some of it went over your head. Well, this time the warning is that it gets a bit more political than usual, and that's unavoidable. The fact of the matter is, at Broken Silicon, at Moore's Law is Dead, we try to stay away from politics unless it's necessary to be part of the conversation. And the fact is, it is. Politics and what's going on in world events right now is part of a reason you can't buy the toys you want. Okay? That's the thing. This channel was ahead of reporting that, for example, Zen 2 was going to be a big deal, Zen 3 was going to be a big deal, that RDNA 2 was going to be a big deal, that AMD was resurgent, and that if you were a future buyer, you had to know that you needed to pay attention to them. We were also, you know, on the forefront of talking about the price manipulation going on at NVIDIA before it came out, that Ampere is not going to cost remotely what they said it would, and then eventually talking about the shortages and what's causing them. Well, that's what we talk about a lot here. Shortages. Shortages on tons of products that rely on TSMC in Taiwan. And so whether it's from a conflict over the island or from something like an earthquake, this is a non-zero chance of happening. There could be a shortage, and there's various reasons it could be caused and various outcomes and realities of what you would have to deal with. So that's what me and Jason Fields, who's really an esteemed reporter here, who's been managing editor at Reuters, this is a real deal. So anytime politics enters into this conversation, anytime we're talking about world events, it's from the perspective of discussing what it would mean for you. That's why we did this episode. So this is the warning that this is an atypical episode, but it involves the products you're trying to buy. And so I hope you enjoy it. Um, yeah, that's enough of a warning, I think. I think this is one of the better ones either way. Enjoy the show. The following podcast is brought to you by eWin Gaming Shares. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 20% off these practical and comfortable products that Moore's Laws Dead actually uses. And also use this offer code at cdkeyoffers.com for 30% off Windows keys and die shrink for 3% off every other key on the website. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a typically gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and just right at the top, I'm going to let my guest introduce himself. Hi. Well, my name is Jason Fields. Uh, I've been a journalist for 26 years. I am, in fact, older than your parents, uh, <laughs> but uh, I also am the host of the Angry Planet podcast which we uh, created six years ago uh, when uh, we mm -hmm. were at Reuters. And the Angry Planet, Conf yeah, Angry Planet podcast deals with conflicts all over the world and all different types. You know, I've been a fan of, well, it used to be called War College. Uh, that's what I remember it as since 
uh, since before I actually even started Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon. And looking back on it, you know, I'll go a few months and then I'll like, oh, there's been a few episodes I haven't listened to. I'll listen to a few in a row of Angry Planet. I've been starting to realize that it really feels like your podcast is almost a military, logistical, and political version of Broken Silicon. It's It's a lot less of the typical, ooh, look at this new fighter jet or what's happening right. in this one battle. You guys will discuss something like, what is the supply chain to even keep a fighter jet running? You know, that one battle happened. What causes these types of battles to uh, happen in the first place? And typically on Broken Silicon, we talk about how the gaming hardware is actually made, why there are shortages or not. It, yours is kind of a war version of Broken Silicon in my eyes. It's it's really interesting. I, I really can't recommend it enough to people listening. Well, thank you. And uh, that's actually really flattering, uh, but I'll take it. Happy to take it. <laughs> well, unlike Broken Silicon, Angry Planet certainly isn't afraid to stay away from politics. Um, I mean, it's unavoidable if you're involving war, really. Um, on Broken Silicon, we try to not bring it up um, unless absolutely necessary. But well, a reason I wanted to do this episode today is I feel like a lot of YouTube channels involving gaming or, or really anything that tries to be lighthearted, let's say, are entering into a point of absurdity in how much they're avoiding politics. Like you'll see some of these YouTubers talk about like graphics card prices and why you can't get a hold of a PlayStation 5. And then they try to explain it while not getting into politics or what's going on with a lot of controversial issues all over the world right now. And it's like, guys, those issues are causing you to not buy your toy. I'm sorry, but we have to talk about politics. And that's why it occurred to me like this might be a unique chance to talk to a more political, you know, centered, uh, have a more political conversation that is literally connected to gaming right now. Um, and so I want to ask, are you aware of, like, I'm sure you're aware of the shortages. We already talked a little before we started recording, but like how bad it's really gotten for like gaming hardware. Like, I'll just tell you, like, there's a lot of anger in gaming circles right now. I'm not at all surprised. I mean, my intention when, uh, the latest Xbox came out, mm -hmm. and also uh, PlayStation 5 was to actually buy both because I like to play with these things. Um, and I've gotten my hands on neither. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to pay the premium. And as a result, you know, I mean, I just haven't been lucky enough to walk into the right store or find it for sale online. I, I you know. I mean, it's probably a shortcoming of mine. But anyway, that just says, to me, this is ridiculous. I've watched these shortages before. Like mm -hmm. when the first, uh, you know, Nintendo, like when the Wii came out, for example, and there were four shortages and you couldn't get it for months and all that. But I mean, this does not seem like that at all. I mean, mm -hmm. what's it been, a year now? Yeah, and I think a few weeks will be literally a year since I don't remember the exact date the Xbox and the PlayStation came out. Um, and they're still unavailable. I mean, frankly, just to give you some advice, if you want to get it, I, I the store is not the way to go, I don't think. I think you got to just kind of hound PlayStation's websites, Amazon, Target, and Walmart. I just think most people aren't willing to do that because we have lives. And, and it is very frustrating, <laughs> you know, if you're not willing to go, oh, they're going to have a drop at 4 a.m. at walmart.com. I'll just be ready to click. That, that's They made more PlayStation 5s than they made PlayStation 4s in the first year. So I, I don't know. I, a lot of it's demand, I believe, but also 
a lot of it, at least in the gaming PC space, is... Oh, God, I mean, I don't even know where to get into it, right? I've, I've done so many articles on it, but it's like, you know, hoarding, um, shipping issues caused by various political reasons, including what's how COVID's being handled between different countries. Um, and I guess it's made me realize that if... Because this has happened to PC gaming before, where graphics cards have become twice as expensive, you know. But I don't think it was ever this bad. It's made me realize just if people are this mad now at shortages, I mean, it could get a lot worse depending on what happens geopolitically around the world. Would it, like, do you feel like people are sleeping on? I mean, people forget there were like victory gardens during World War II and stuff like that. It, I mean, do you think people are maybe sleeping on how much worse the shortages could get that COVID really isn't anything compared to other things that could happen? Oh, you're totally right, I think. When you have, you know, everything made overseas um, mm -hmm. and anything that's made entirely outside of your country, you're at the mercy of someone. <laughs> you just are by definition. Um, same actually if you were at the mercy of a single company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually in some ways it's not that different from uh, being at the mercy of a monopoly because then you're stuck with, the, you know, whatever price they want you, to charge you. And but in this case, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that we barely make in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, although that's changing. Right. I mean, people are they are trying to build factories to bring semiconductors back to the United States. Um, but I mean, there's no way that's going to happen in, a, you know, super fast time and even but, if they are that's like going to be like 10 percent, 20 percent of the factories in the totally, world so you're totally right so who are we reliant on more than anybody else taiwan mm -hmm. they make the playstation the xbox and the graphics cards you want to buy <laughs> yeah and taiwan as you guys have probably been hearing is well it's the site of a lot of tension right now i i actually kind of want to start backing up a little bit and mm -hmm. go I, I feel like we need to mention briefly here that the west nixon clearly thought if we brought capitalism to china that they would just become more like us and i and in some ways they have i guess but uh, do you believe this was all successful after we've seen tibet fall hong kong fall hong kong a lot of people thought wouldn't. It is for anyone listening. Like, I don't want to get into a debate that makes people mad to hear that. China controls Taiwan. I mean, Hong Kong completely now. There's there's really no mm -hmm. debate about that. And I and yet I still see people going, I don't know that China would ever try to take Taiwan. It's like, well, we're two out of three so far. I think I think they're going to. I mean, do you believe we were at all successful in making China more amelable to us through bringing capitalism to them? And, and and then again, like, how do you feel like this affects their ambitions towards Taiwan? And uh, there's so much I could start with, but yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, going back to Nixon, uh, we, we finally, you got to think, like, the reality on the ground was in 1949, 1950, the communists took over China. Mm -hmm. There was no debate about it. The nationalist government, the anti-communists, fled they fled to an island off the coast of China. That island is Taiwan. <laughs> and yeah. that's where that, they still see themselves, the people of Taiwan, the government of Taiwan, as being the legitimate government of China, <laughs> uh, which is 
you know, try to wrap your brain around that. You're talking about like 23 million people versus 1.4 billion people. Yeah. But what happened for us was we just said, no, we're going to continue to recognize the losers for more mm-hmm. than 20 years. We didn't have diplomatic relations with the actual China part of China. Um, and then Nixon went in and realized, hey, you know what? Maybe it makes more sense to acknowledge reality. Mm-hmm. We switched our uh, diplomatic recognition to China. We do not have a diplomatic relationship strictly with Taiwan. That's not acknowledged, that's kind of but like we do, but no. it's not acknowledged. Absolutely. But we don't have an ambassador there. Mm-hmm. An ambassador is something that you have to a country. This is not a country. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's the kind of yeah. crazy fiction that's going on. I mean, I, you have to understand it's all like diplomatic fiction. Um, and China, the People's Republic, the big guy, has felt like Taiwan is a runaway province. They feel like there is no Taiwan per se. There is no government of Taiwan that's legitimate. They are completely illegitimate, and therefore, the Chinese are just taking their time, and at any moment, they could just, as far as they're concerned, legally invade Taiwan, Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't even call it an invasion. That's not what it is, according to this fictional world. You know what I mean? It is like just switching between fictional worlds and la la lands, in my opinion. Like we pretend China isn't real, then we pretend Taiwan isn't real, even though they have their own passports and like they are. And then now recently, I feel like the new la la land is pretending China's not going to try to take back Taiwan because it's funny that you talk about we don't have an ambassador to Taiwan and you know, they see it as a runaway province. I find that kind of insane that they consider it a runaway province. You know, I've been paying paying that much attention to Taiwan until a, a few years ago. And I'll tell you, when I was in college and I just thought of Taiwan as its own country and didn't even realize, you know, 10 years ago that China really still had ambitions. But the more I look at it, they really see it differently than the way we do. And I think most people in the West know Taiwan's its own country. But that is not how China sees it. And yet I see a lot of leaders and people making big decisions on the world stage, whether at a company or, you know, as the leader of a government operating. I feel like unaware of just how much China really still does see Taiwan as part of its country, even though it, there's really no evidence it is at all. They have their own passports. They have their own military. It, it is not right. Would, would yeah. you, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. No, I think you're right. I mean. But there's also part of there's a reason for it as well. Um, The United States has a stated policy called strategic ambiguity Mm -hmm. with Taiwan, which is fantastic. What we say is we might come to their aid if China decides to invade. You just never know. Honestly, it really is that we will Mm -hmm. not commit to it. But we hint at being Taiwan's full-fledged ally, and we also say, well, you know, we won't do that. We actually have both in mind, and we are saying both at the same time. It's really, really weird. Well, Uh, does this remind you at all of, like, 
pre-World War One, where underneath the table, everyone had these treaties they really were going to commit to. But in public, it's a little different because I it was it was more publicly stated, but I still feel like in public before World War One, a lot of countries were like, are they really going to team up against each other? Are they really going to let this big war break out? You know, we're going to say that we would probably defend this group. We would probably go to war and support France in this way. And then a domino fell and it's like, no, we are going. To, it's like, well, you kind of made it out like you weren't going to. You kind of made it out like it was all posturing. Now we know it's not posturing and we're in a bigger, longer war than we ever intended. I'm, I really get that feeling about what's going on with Taiwan right now. And it actually frightens me quite a bit. I think that's interesting. I think it also is interesting to think about it expressly in the U.S. context. Because the U.S. context is we were friends with England, but we never committed to defend them. And mm. in fact, when you think about it, it was only when U.S. shipping was being sunk at a pretty high rate yeah. as we were. Right. I mean, because we were, again, as you just like what you said, under the table, we were supplying before weapons. World War One and during. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and. But we didn't actually get involved. U.S. troops didn't get involved until the very end, uh, coming in on the Allied side. Actually, U.S. troops got there. I don't know if people realize this. Months before mm -hmm. the war war ended. Yeah, not years. Months. <laughs> so it's it's a very interesting, uh, you know, thing. But I wonder if we wouldn't be in a similar situation, like what you're saying with Taiwan. I mean, where I think. You know, we might not come in until it's too late. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that we wouldn't come into it, but would we actually be there in a way that would be helpful to the Taiwanese? And you bring up shipping. That's what really did it. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to bring in one of the reader mails here from listener from one of our listeners here. Uh, type 2501 writes and he says, hi, Tom and our guest, Jason. To be honest, I was a bit surprised. We have a conversation about Taiwan and her geopolitical situation in a gaming hardware podcast because I've spent five years of my life in Taiwan and have good friends there. Here's a little episode I came across in central Taiwan when I was there. One night I was driving uh, from my friend's place to... Yakiniki, a Japanese grill for dinner, and I was shocked when we drove past a TSMC Gigafab, a Microfab, a Nanya Fab, the fourth largest DRM maker in the world, for those who don't know, HQ of AUDO, and a Corning Glass factory within our 30-minute city drive. We always knew the importance of Taiwan in a global sense for the electronic supply chain, but in this 30-minute drive, I distinctly remember this in my life being amazed just how much industry is there? So that is where I go. I don't know. I, I feel like this diplomatic ambiguity that's going on right now is going to be, is currently, it seems like, at least they're acting like it, seen by China as that ambiguity. When you hear this 30 minute drive, you just half of the stuff we need for everything they drove past accidentally. I, I don't know that there's any ambiguity in the fact that. We need Taiwan in the West. And when I ask people like Daniel Nenny, who's been a long-term veteran of the silicon industry and has been on the podcast multiple times, I mean, he founded semiwiki.com. I mean, I asked him what would happen if they invaded Taiwan, and he's like, oh, a war. And everyone I ask, 
who's high up at Silicon companies is like, well, China wouldn't do that because we would fight a world war over Taiwan. And I'm like, I don't know if China knows that. I mean, do you, I, I don't know if you want to speak to any of that at all, like the importance of Taiwan. Yeah, like, no, could, I we agree. Get in, could we get involved too late? Because I'm not so sure we could. Okay, so um, a couple of things to sort of unpack that. Taiwan is, as you say, of critical importance. It creates and builds things that everybody needs. But it's not just the West that needs them. Mm -hmm. China needs them. Yeah. And China actually has very limited semiconductor manufacturing capacity. Mm -hmm. um, I think people would assume that China, it makes everything, it's where your iPhone's from, that China is actually, you know, making all this stuff for themselves, and they're not. And the problem isn't so much that they're getting everything from Taiwan, but you take Taiwan out of the equation, and there's just a greater shortage around the world, plus you'd have sanctions. Mm -hmm. I mean, forget about a war, we don't know about mm -hmm. the war. Honestly, I think that's that's a real thing we don't know. But the sh you know, sanctions are very real because they're easy to do and relatively cheap. This would cost China so much that it wouldn't just be a one-way thing. It wouldn't just be Taiwan that would be in pain. Mm -hmm. China would genuinely, there are reasons for China not to do this. You know, so I, I don't know if I put it on the script, but I know there was a reader mail question about that. Like, I'm, you can imagine who our allies would be, South Korea, J Japan, Japan, who actually has quite a more capable military than most people realize right now. Most people don't realize they actually have one of the strongest militaries in the world, relatively speaking, to a, how small a lot of European countries have gotten. Um, and then, you know, Australia would be on our side, so on and so forth. Like, who would be on China's side? I mean, North Korea, if they really wanted to be, I guess. And now you're saying maybe. Like, isn't Pakistan technically an ally of ours, even though I almost laugh saying they're our ally? It's like, yeah. okay, sure. Yeah. No, it, uh, they are actually an ally of both. So I, do you think they would – who who do you think would actually come to the aid of China? I guess maybe North Korea is crazy enough, but. Yeah, actually, no, you're right. Um, one of the things that despite – what's happened over the last few years, and I'll save, uh, well, let's just say I'll avoid getting that political. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, you're, uh, but the US does have friends. The mm -hmm. US is really the only country that has military bases all over the world. Uh, Russia has one military base outside of Russia, and that's in Syria. China mm -hmm. also doesn't have an extensive system of allies where they have military bases either. So um, I believe they put one in, and you're going to love this, I love saying this word, Djibouti. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, talk about obscure and, and you know. So you're right, you're right. Uh, China's, it does seem like maybe they would stand alone. Um, but boy, they're big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In so many different ways. They have such a large military. And as far as their spending on their military goes and, and their modernization of the military, I don't think that's even been reported enough. Mm -hmm. They hide a significant part of their budget yeah. and it's still hundreds of billions of dollars. 
I wouldn't be one of the people that would make the argument that their military is negligible compared to ours. Now, don't get me wrong. And maybe it's just because I'm an American, but I do think our military dwarfs theirs in capabilities overall. But I do think that an actual engagement would be catastrophically bad and that people underestimate, especially the closer you get to their mainland, how capable it probably is. I think that's such a good point because uh, – what we've you know talked about on Angry Planet and what you've seen in the news is actually that it's possible China could deny the United States access to and possibly success in areas nearby China. Mm-hmm. If they ended up fighting against Taiwan, if they end up fighting against Vietnam, I mean, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the South China Sea is also another conflict that I, I don't think we'll get into today, but it that actually involves Vietnam and a lot of other countries in Which, that region. Not to get off subject, but I think people would be surprised to hear that Vietnam, I think, would be more likely on our side than theirs. Totally right. Based on people I talk totally to that right. live in Vietnam, they, they they really aren't friends of China at all. <laughs> no, no, they fought a nasty war. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, that so. was weird with Vietnam. They just, man, they had to fight the French, then us, then China. It's just everyone had to take a turn, and they won each time. So good for them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but people forget that the last one to fight them was China, and Vietnam yeah. remembers that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, China's really quite powerful. They can't project their power in the same way the United States can, uh, so far from their shores. But, yeah, they're very confident. Um Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at cdkeyoffers.com. That includes Steam, Origin, Uplay, PlayStation, PC, and many other keys, including Windows, Microsoft Word, and Professional. Use the offer code BROKENSILICON for 30% off all Windows keys, and these can be upgraded to Windows 11, and also use the offer code DOSHRING for everything else on the website. Now, back to the show. Well, so then let me get into this. I've got a few reader mails here. It's it's hard for me to know which one to start with, but like we got yours truly, Donner, Do- Johnny Dollar is his name. It's asking like, what would an invasion look like? And then Aiden Maltby asks, if a war broke out, what are the chances TSMC survived? Because I feel like if I can jump in here, any attempted takeover of Taiwan, I feel like Russia came up with the blueprint with Crimea. I mean, there you go. Find an excuse, have little green men show up. Am I wrong? That's probably what they would do first. Or do you think there'd be some other likely scenario that would start something over Taiwan? Well, I think they're kind of two different questions. I But I do think that the little green men issue, uh, you've got a problem with it working. You don't have a land okay. order. How would you get the little green men there without people noticing? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be... That'd be my main thought about that. But as far as the infrastructure and the chip manufacturers and everything else that's in Taiwan, you could be sure whatever campaign China would Mm -hmm. launch, they would avoid hitting those like the plague. They want to take that intact. That's really important stuff. Mm -hmm. They then can deny us chips entirely. They have a constant supply for themselves. It's a huge advantage to them to not destroy the infrastructure of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. It sounds like in, if, if anything came to a head, it, 
to me, it sounds like it would be some sort of them attempting a blockade. Am I wrong? Like, that's probably what it would be then. They're not going to get little green men there. The idea for the little green men thing I had was what if a natural disaster happened? And then they're like, oh, well, we'll just, you know, you're part of our country. So let us just bring in the military to help clean everything <laughs> up. And, well, we need to take control of the airport so we can land people here. And then a year later, ah, I think we're going to leave them in the airport. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's my not a sus- bad idea. That's my suspicion for what China's waiting for. They're just waiting for any excuse to say, hey, we'll pay for all of it. Just let us land at the airport. Well, I love I love that idea. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the Chinese who are clearly listening into the show love that idea. Um, thanks for giving all the, uh, you know, good ideas to the enemy. But, you know, we're not technically enemies anyway. I'm sure they got like 10 <laughs> options on the table that they've thought of five years ago but i can't but for if i was that is what i would do i'd be like we need to wait for any excuse to give them a ton of money for free and land people at the airport yeah you're totally right you're no i mean i i like that idea a lot i'm just in terms of intelligence the intelligence mm-hmm. of it um yeah well one thing is for sure though um you can't trust promises i think that actually getting that gets to what could happen in Taiwan. It's also, I think it's worth mentioning Hong Kong again, mm-hmm. briefly, because Hong Kong was given back by the British to China in 1997 in a deal that said China would not put its hands on Hong Kong in any really meaningful way for 50 years. And is that... I, I don't mean to be pedantic, but is that literally like what did the – do you know off the top of your head? Like what did literally the treaty say? Because this is the problem with ambiguity. When you put a treaty and say you can't – like I'm sure this wasn't how it was worded. But if it was if it was basically worded like you can't really take it, what does it really mean? You know? No, I, it actually uh, guaranteed a free press. Okay. Freedom of assembly. Uh, basically, a lot of the things. Well, that's uh, independent gone, judiciary. So. Yeah, an independent judiciary. Oh, that's uh, gone. Some form of a local elected uh, legislature. So no, it was pretty specific, and actually oh. wouldn't seem that alien to us. Like so that a person living in America, living in that hypothetical Taiwan, would actually be pretty happy and feel like they were living in a free society. Or Hong Kong. Yes. Sorry, man. But no, yeah. I knew what you meant. But yeah, but yeah, and I already yeah. So they didn't they do something with legislatures where they like now you have to go to a mainland China judge at a certain point. There was some. Mm-hmm. So that's just gone. Then yeah, that's I mean just it's gone. not even a question. And we no, and I, and who was supposed to guarantee that happened? England. Uh, I think that's exactly the problem. No <laughs> one really guaranteed it. It was a one-sided agreement. China made that agreement. But yeah, there's no way to enforce it. But uh, doesn't that seem interesting, though? I mean, it's like nobody came. No one really made much of a fuss. There mm-hmm. were no substantial sanctions against China. People just said, boy, that's a shame. I'm I, honestly that is that's what I said. I was like, well, that's too bad. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I just wonder if. The world might not have that same response to Taiwan. I mean, it's- exactly. And this is where I think a mistake could happen, a miscalculation from both sides. I think that no matter what we say in terms of ambiguity, bringing it back to the World War One reference, I think the West 
is sure we would do something about Taiwan. And I think on the Chinese side, they look at Hong Kong and they go, well, that worked, so should work here. Um, I assume they actually know we'd care more, but I don't think, I, I just think either you care or you don't. And it turns out we didn't care about Hong Kong, but we do about Taiwan. Well, I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. I don't know if it's true. Um, mm. And I'm still really hoping we're not going to find out for a little while. Um, but it does seem like, okay, so I wrote a column mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks ago, which asked the question, when China will invade Taiwan? And the answer I came to is whenever the hell it damn well pleases. And the reasoning for that is that China acts because of its own internal motivations. China takes aggressive action and outward action when it needs to make an impression on its own population. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, they, a lot of it has to do with making an example to its people half the time. Yeah, and an example, but also, you know, they there's they built this nationalist frenzy in China that I think it's kind of hard for the United States to understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have you know, very strong patriotism, and but we're also not hit with messages every single day, you know, telling you exactly how great, you know, Xi Jinping is, or Jinping, sorry. You're not hit every minute with an exhortation to serve the motherland. I mean, man, mm-hmm. man, these people are being brainwashed every single day. It's so if Xi needs a little bit of a boost, you know, things aren't going so well, GDP falls, Evergrande goes out of business. Mm-hmm. What does he do? He may concentrate that nationalism and point it outwards, give an external enemy. And my thought is when he needs that, Taiwan may be just the place to go. Right. And China has a tendency to intelligently take its time with any policies. It doesn't need to happen tomorrow. We're just going to make sure when the time is right, we really seize on the opportunity. And that's where I feel like they are just waiting a decade. And they know within that decade, there's a good chance there's some disaster that happens in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, like you're saying, around a international depression that could happen, which I don't think is a crazy idea at all. Um, you know, they like if there's an economic downturn and then at the same time that happens, I really think they're just waiting for the stars to align. But they know that if they're willing to wait 20 years, it'll probably happen at some point in that. And that's mm-hmm. when th- they come together. The question is, them. let's let's just to to frame it this way. A tsunami some tidal wave hits taiwan it's not really that bad but china says we're going to give you a trillion dollars to build up like just Mm -hmm. an outrageous amount like we're just going to show up pay for everything we're going to land at the airport do you think taiwan says no do you think the u.s jumps in and says we can't let them show up no i actually think that it would have to be a pretty bad natural disaster but i would say that uh, Taiwan actually gets hit by a lot of earthquakes, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, okay, on a so nasty, an it's on a nasty fault line. So you can imagine, you know, bad enough earthquake put together with a large enough typhoon. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not like these horrible things don't happen uh, in, you know, coming together uh, in horrible ways. 
really does happen like that. And with the storms getting progressively worse and more common with climate change, then I think you're also dealing with, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I you're think crazy. I think the earthquake one's a good I don't example, think you're though. Crazy. I think the yeah. earthquake one's an even better example than a tidal wave because water you can clean up, but not to sound like an idiot, but <laughs> run with me here. Earthquakes sure. are way worse for sensitive manufacturing machines. Sure. Earthquakes are a way worse situation, I would imagine. Then it would have to be a horrible tidal wave to even compare to or, or a hurricane to compare to what an earthquake could, I think, much more easily do to this delicate machinery. So mm -hmm. you could make the argument that China could make the argument themselves. We're not going to take no for an answer. We need the chips just as much as you guys. So we're showing up to fix this as soon as possible. I, and I think they would have a legitimate claim too. the International well, World Court would say, well, you know, well, it's interesting that I, I don't think that's crazy. I think that also if I'm going to back your point, because why the hell not? Uh, I would also say that when we've had other natural disasters, enemies do tend to come together. We've had mm -hmm. horrible earthquakes in Turkey. And you know who came in to help? The Greeks. I mean, Greeks and Turks hate each other with a passion, you know, hotter than a thousand suns. <laughs> it's just, it's a, goes back centuries. And sure enough, they came together. Uh, and why not with China? You know, it, I China mean, and Taiwan. Right, exactly. If you why really not? want to play the long game, it would be much easier to just make them like you. What a concept. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an obvious one, but it's one. No, so, no, no. I, I don't think it is obvious. I don't think it is obvious. China is sort uh, charm offensive seem to be rare. But I, they can they can certainly be persuasive. So I guess the more we talk about this, the more I think, you know, I'm starting to actually back down. It's not that I thought there would be a war. I just think it's a non-zero chance. And that's mm -hmm. a non-zero chance of something that would be very bad, which I think we'll get to that in a second or in a few minutes. But it sounds like eventually then if this the most likely scenario, because let me say this, we agree China is going to try to take Taiwan eventually. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's just clear that conversation out of the way. We like me and you are 100% sure they're going to try to that. It's probably something mm -hmm. in the distance and it's probably a slow moving coup. Do you think then that if they control Taiwan, they would ever really use it in a way as a true weapon to say, hey, no more iPhones and Xboxes and PlayStations this year because we don't like what the U.S. government just did? Or would that hurt them more because of the sanctions we would put back at them? Do they have more? power to sanction us because they hold Taiwan in that scenario in the future than we do to really shut them down. I think that's the, what, $3 trillion question mm -hmm. minimum, because there's been a lot of argument that the United States and China can't go to war with each other at all simply because our, our economies are so interconnected. Uh, the Chinese own some incredible percentage of U.S. debt, for example. Mm -hmm. They just buy bonds. I mean, we're supposedly the most stable economy in the world. And so, you know, we're a great investment for your money. So China buys an enormous number of bonds. And just, you know, look around your house and how much is made by China. Mm -hmm. But of course, they need that money. Right. They're not they're not giving it to us for mm -hmm. free. You know, I mean, of course, the people who are selling are dependent on you. It's not just the buyer. 
So, I mean, it would hurt China. Forget about sanctions. It would hurt China tremendously. It Just to stop selling to us. Yeah. 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 It's not like there's an alternative market that compares to the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we are the largest economy in the world. We are larger than a bunch of other economies put together. California uh, is the fifth largest economy in the world. One I of love, our states. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, that's fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Going to war makes so little sense for both countries. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because the rhetoric is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Mm -hmm. And we've pivoted to Asia. You know, we continue to pivot. My my partner, Matthew, on on Angry Planet loves the word pivot uh, just because it's so ridiculous. And we've been trying to do it for so long uh, to pivot to Asia, right, and actually focus our attention there. But it's just, it doesn't make sense. But you go back to what you've said about World War I, which I think is incredibly perceptive. People said, our economies in Europe are so right. interconnected, this could never happen because it would be so terrible for all of us. And yet they managed to kill millions and millions of people. So well, I don't know, there's some quote about, the only time you're 100% wrong is when you're 100% sure. And it just seems like everyone's 100% sure there won't be a war. And when I think about, you know, I do a lot of leaks on upcoming Intel, AMD, NVIDIA products. It's kind of what my channel's mostly known for, I think, at this point. You know, my best and most perceptive leaks were the ones that I was 99% sure of or 90% sure of because it made me double check my work a hundred times. It's when I'm a hundred percent sure that I sometimes make a wild mistake, which I've been able to avoid for a while now. Um, but, and, and that's just my worries that this is the wild mistake a bunch of people are making. It's just, this is probably a good place to pivot. Then it seems like we think probably not a war. And if it happened in the future, it's unlikely that it would take a truly ridiculous person, probably not Xi Jinping, frankly, to actually let a trade war happen, too, because if they stop selling to us, it hurts them just as much. But let's say that starts going down that path. Authority writes in and he says, I can't help but feel a war would be short lived. Surely Apple would pay all parties involved for a swish, swift conclusion before their next iPhone releases. <laughs> um, it's uh -huh. a joke, but I think it's worth pointing out, you know, when the Ebola crisis in quotes happened, I mean, lots of shipping companies like FedEx donated planes to make that get fixed overnight because they realized, oh, if all they need is this and it'll go away in a month, it's better for our bottom line to literally donate planes. Like how many... I mean, some of these companies now are worth trillions. If this were to happen 10 years in the future, I'll promise you some of these companies will be worth $10 trillion. <laughs> like, maybe that'll be because the U.S. dollar is worth half as much, but who knows? Um, like, let's say that this starts happening. How much power do you think some of these mega corporations that are stronger than most countries now, uh, how much power do you think they could exert on this? Or are they really paper tigers, just big you know, they have so many zeros at their market cap, but really they just would because I because there's a lot of these companies where you could see them going, well, that was a ten trillion dollar company. Guess they don't exist now, <laughs> like yeah. in the repercussions of that. Well, companies, I think, are often the subject of conspiracy theories that mm -hmm. companies well, secretly control. Right. I mean, I. Companies secretly control the world. Multinationals, if you read science fiction, mm -hmm. which I do, uh, multinationals are often what's yeah. 
you know, really behind the power and then and government. Like in Blade Runner, you know, Blade it's Runner. all mega corporations or yeah. I think even the Deus Ex games. There's a lot of science fiction. Yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, William Gibson, I mean, is 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 really big on that in the earlier works. So long story short with that, I think that corporations can lobby and I think that, but I don't see Tim Cook <laughs> You know, secretly, uh, I mean, he could threatening to do anything, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a military conflict, I think what happens to them is that they get brought into it on our side by the U.S. saying we need more iPhones or Mm -hmm. we need you to do this. We need you to make, for example, our the pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we actually turned to companies and said, make ventilators. And some mm-hmm. really weird companies make ventilators now. I mm-hmm. mean, companies that have just no idea, you know, would have had no idea how to do it. Um, I honestly think that's still the way companies get involved more than anything else. At, at government's discretion, not the other way around. I mean, I think you can imagine Tim Cook, like maybe having Apple fund some campaign for a president more if they think another president is more likely to go to war with Taiwan. But once it actually happens, you don't think anything's going to, they're not going to do anything about it. Not yet. I mean, I would say that maybe, you know, there'll be large corporate armies in the future and governments really will wither away. Um, But at the moment, we're not even 1% there, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so to put a pin, I think, in this part of the conversation, then, like, I just want to kind of tie this up before we get to, like, the repercussions of a hypothetical scenario. You don't think a war is going to happen, then? Yes or no? Because <laughs> we agree they're going to try to take Taiwan. So what yeah. do we think is going to happen? I think that there would be massive sanctions that would hurt everybody involved, including the mm-hmm. United States. It's one thing to put sanctions on Iraq or even <laughs> Russia. Yeah. Um, you know, because Russia, all they have is oil and gas, and that has caused problems for our allies. But it's another thing entirely to do it to China, just in terms of the pain Mm -hmm. we would suffer. But no, I actually think that right now the U.S. is in a mode of walking away from allies. I really think that. I I think that what we saw in Afghanistan was horrific, not necessarily Mm -hmm. that we should have stayed forever or anything like that, but it's just the way the exit was handled. I just don't know who we're actually there for anymore other Mm -hmm. than us. So, so what is your point by bringing that up though, with regards to Taiwan? I think that if it really push came to shove that we're not ready to, that they are another ally it's not even a formal ally, and I don't think we'd be there for them. I think mm-hmm. that right now our own peace and security and our overwhelming happiness uh, at not being at war, I think that massively outweighs what value Taiwan has. Because I'm going to bet you anything the Chinese will still sell us chips. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'll so you sell think us Taiwanese more likely- chips. So it sounds like you think they're going to go for Taiwan. They're going to successfully take it and prices are going to go up because China will up prices because they control it now. They'll just have more or at the very least, China will just have more, I don't know, diplomatic power to threaten us about things. 
And that's that, but it probably won't ever break out into the worst case scenarios. That's what I think. But Mm. the motives behind it are interesting. And it makes you wonder what happens if Turkey is attacked next and NATO allies. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, just but we don't, don't get know. along with Turkey that great now. So you could almost go, that's a good example of who knows what we would do. Yeah. Uh, you know, Donald Trump, not to, not to say one way or another, whether it was a good thing, but he really questioned article 50 of the NATO charter, mm-hmm. which is that one power comes to the aid of another, another NATO treaty ally, no matter what. And if we're even willing to talk about that with a NATO ally, mm-hmm. I think it's Article 5, by the way. Um, if we're able to do that, then how much more are we willing to let Taiwan sink into the sea, so to speak? Well, let me ask you this, actually, then. So, it, again, just to summarize, make sure I'm not off base here. We both agree China's going to go for Taiwan. You believe that to some degree China will be successful because we're not going to do anything about it. But the reason we probably won't do anything about it is it's not like China's going to stop selling us chips anyways because um, they need us to buy them just as much as we need them to sell them. Um, do you think that's going to be fine then? Like, do you obviously I don't I, I don't think either of us think a military conflict would be good. Do you think that um the West, let's say, or even just the West of the rest of the world, because I say the West and that what we're basically including South Korea, Vietnam, Japan. Do you think the rest of the world should let them, though, even if that's what you think is going to happen? I guess we agree we don't want a war, but what do you think the rest of the world should do? Or do you think the best outcome is China taking Taiwan and us looking the other way? Is it the lesser of all evils? And are you funded by the Chinese government? I'm just That's kidding. right. That's right. <laughs> God, I really don't know. I think, but I don't think I'm alone in not knowing. Sure. Um, I think that there's a part of me that's, you know, a strong believer that the U.S. should keep its word and that it's important for the United States to be a major power in the world outside of the United States's borders. I do believe that the United States has interests that are outside of the continental United States. Um, and part of me almost longs for, the, you know, the old stability of an American empire. I mean, it's nice to have an empire when it's you're the ones who have it, right? <laughs> but, Keep in mind when our empire was at its height, though, the CIA was kind of going having a real circus they literally uh, had i think what didn't uh, they have an operation uh, over tibet it's called something flying circus they, i mean uh, they had all these yes so yes. let's be fair when we weren't being challenged we were doing some crazy stuff to our own people a little bit fair <laughs> enough fair enough um so i don't want to see war i do think that a strong united states is a benefit to the united states and maybe even to the world i don't actually think we're as evil as a lot of people do <laughs> really don't. It's I mean, all I relative. I, I would certainly agree. I'll just say. Yeah. Um, but I do think that in some senses, America is genuinely in decline. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that there is a withdrawing from the world, uh, an isolationism that is growing. And it doesn't mean that America is necessarily in permanent decline or at all. We've mm-hmm. had these. We're, you're periods. saying we're in decline. It doesn't mean it will always be a downward trend. Right. Exactly. 
we pulled back from the world at the end of World War One. We didn't mm -hmm. want to get involved in World War One at all. We isolationism became one of the most powerful forces. We didn't actually get into World War Two. Now we look back to at True. World War Two. Yeah, it looks also inevitable. War. But back then, people were mm -hmm. probably like, "Ah, oh, no, this is the end of us ever bothering anything." Yeah, September of 1939 is when the war started, when mm -hmm. Germany invaded Poland. We get involved December 7th, 1941. We like to be fashionably late to world wars. Right, right. Um, isolationism has often been a strong force in the United States, and I just feel like that's where we are now. I, mm -hmm. I have no idea what the future holds. There's nothing inherently crappy sure. about the United States that makes it so that we'll only decline and disappear. I don't think that at all. But I do think right now that's where our mindset is to pull back. Mm -hmm. Well, again, just to try to force you to answer the question, then, do you think ah. the lesser of two evils is letting China take Taiwan and just exert more power over the world? Or do you think that outside countries, including, again, Vietnam, South Korea and such, is it in their best interest to not let them do it, even if it caused a limited engagement, even if it caused shortages for a few years? Or do you think it would be in the best interest of everyone if we just kind of let them take it and keep moving on? I think that it would probably not be in our best interest to just let them take it, because I do believe they will continue mm -hmm. to take things. Right. And at some point, we do have to stand up for what will become our direct interests. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether Taiwan and I think your show, I mean, it's all about how Taiwan is a direct interest of yeah. the United States. Um, but even if you said it wasn't, the next thing will be. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that at some point, the United States will have to stand up before a world gets potentially gobbled up. Mm. Um, but I'm scared of the prospect. And also, I am not entirely sure in what way the United States wins. Right. It sounds like you're saying it's in the it's a lesser of two evils to let China take Taiwan, but it's not the best outcome. It's certainly better than a world war. But it's not the best outcome, but you're not sure what the best outcome is. The best outcome is, in your opinion, some degree of not letting them completely take it. But you don't know what that would be. Well, the question is, what? how far do we let China go? And mm -hmm. is it up to the United States? Are we the ones, the responsible party? And I guess I do feel like I'm, I'm enough of a child of the Cold War <laughs> to believe that, yes, the United States does have a responsibility to keep China from becoming the world. I mm -hmm. don't love the Chinese system of autocracy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of want... people in Western China that agree with you right now. <laughs> yeah, at least a million. Um, I mean, that, that's that been acknowledged as genocide, what's happened to the Uyghurs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, just to tell your uh, users something, you know, um, I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, historically, people haven't been all that fond of Jews. Authoritarian I've noticed governments. that. Yeah, I've yeah. Noticed that. Uh, so, you know, I think there's enough recent history that to make China genuinely scary as an overlord. Mm -hmm. I mean, because really they've terrifying. proven they'll act in scary ways towards groups of people already. So, if they took, hey, what if they wanted to take back Vietnam? Who knows? What if they want totally. South Korea? You know, I don't know. 
this is not something that would happen within the next decade, but within the next hundred years, if they were allowed to keep going, or you know, I don't know. Can I recommend a series of books? No. Yeah, of course. Well, then I won't. Uh, No, it's a science fiction series by a guy named David Wingrove. You'll have never heard of it, but it's actually tells this story. Mm. What if China took over the world? Mm-hmm. And it's very sophisticated telling. It goes on over seven books. There's so much thought that went into exactly how this would happen and what Chinese would govern like. I really recommend the books in case you really want to see this through and think mm-hmm. it through. Because <laughs> David Wingrove did the job for you. Well, I'll put that link in the description. The next thing I want to bring up then is a question from JJ Golden. He says, Jason and Tom, bottom line, what does China gain from Taiwan and how much are they willing to lose? I'm a pessimist and think a U.S. Sino war is inevitable. Obviously, the island of Taiwan goes back to ROC forces following World War II, and even earlier with the Qing Dynasty defeat and Japanese occupation. But it's 2021 right now, not 1912. What's the point? Is it economic security, diplomatic power, or something else that makes China want Taiwan? And this gets into my La La Land thing of two of like, I feel like there's some La La Land going on in China of like, things are going pretty well right now for the Chinese government. Why bother? Why are they doing all this? It's such a good question, but it's but it's not just happening in Taiwan. The South China Sea, they are building islands in the South China mm. Sea to exert their power over the Philippines over Vietnam, over, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is clearly something they want to do. China wants it to be the Chinese century in the same way that it was the American Mm -hmm. century. Yeah, they've said this publicly, yeah. Right, I mean, so I think it's important to the national identity. I think it's important to give people something when you're taking away all of their freedom. Yeah. Right, I mean, yeah, it's insane what they're doing right now to their own people. The monitoring, um, the uh, you know, their credit system. Have you ever talked about that on this show? Yeah, it's the first episode, I believe, of a Black Mirror season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's just like literally. And they like I've watched a Vice News report on it where they were talking to people in China and they're like, oh, we'd love that episode. Like they literally said that. Yeah, that that's our goal. That was a good episode. It was nice. Right. And they yeah. saw it as a happy story. <laughs> So, yeah, I I do see that China wants to be, they say they want to be ascendant and they're doing everything to prove it. And that seems to be motive enough. That's such a good point, putting it now that we're talking about this, like from the perspective of if is anyone taken a step back and gone, it doesn't make sense from a purely financial sense to do any of this. Like things are going so well at China they'll have an ascendant 100 years by default if they just act a little nicer and keep making more money. You know, it's a guarantee. And yet they're doing these risky things. The only reason they would do those risky things then is if they really do want to control far more than they do right now. Or the other option is things are actually more of a Potemkin Mm. village in China than we think. Um, Have 
No, I assume you have been reading it all about how China has invested enormously in real estate inside China. They build these mm -hmm. ghost cities. Yeah. People take their savings and buy an apartment they never have any intention of living in, in a city that never existed before. Well, they banned um, a lot of things you can do on the stock market. You can't right. own Bitcoin. So if you're going to save up money, you can't really mm -hmm. own. I guess you got to buy their own real estate that you're allowed to own, even though that's kind of a weird in a communist country to let them own land, but you know. Right, right. But that's actually, it looks like that's a bit of a shell game. Oh, yeah. Right? And um, Evergrande, their big, one of their biggest real estate companies, is in deep, deep trouble. Doesn't look like they'll be able to pay their debts. Mm. Um, and with that being the case, a lot of people would lose their shirts. Um, I mean, if there's any group of people that need a distraction, it's people who are suffering financially. Mm -hmm. um, and there's – I don't know how bad it can get, but it does actually sound like China financially may be in trouble. If that's – that, I mean, I haven't looked at it recently, but I remember about a year ago reading up on it and going – Ooh, I think this is a house of cards financial yeah. one, like a 2008 level, way worse actually than 2008 level crash that could happen there. Right. And then what do you do? Well, I mean, the old playbook is you mm -hmm. then distract everybody by striking outward. Mm -hmm. um, we sort of joke on my podcast about the fact that, um, you know, everything comes back to World War II. Mm -hmm. But I was about to bring it up. Go on. Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, hey, I worked at the Holocaust Memorial Museum. I mean, if, if no, you know, nobody else thinks it goes back to World War II, it's going to be me. Uh, but one of the reasons why the Germans wanted to actually take over other countries, Lebensraum, was mm -hmm. economic. Mm -hmm. They wanted to make sure that they had enough food for everybody. They wanted to make sure that, um, you know, they made money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they wanted to distract everyone from the fact that everything sucked because everything did suck. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. Um, by pouring money into the military, it really helped the overall economy. All this kind of stuff. So what does China do if it finds itself in that kind of depression? Because I think we don't understand what the depression was like, the actual depression. Yeah. In the 30s, 20s, into the 20s, you know, through the 30s. I don't think we know what that's like. I mean, you know, I my grandparents are actually almost 90, so they were kids during it. And I asked them yeah. about the Depression, and it's like, oh, we all shared a toothbrush. And it's easy to make that whimsical and ha, 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 how gross. You need to share your toothbrush. But it's like, no, think about it. What if you had to share a toothbrush with 10 people? What would make you do that? How bad yeah. would it have been that you couldn't afford a $1 toothbrush? Yeah, that's a, that's a, exactly and people starved in the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, a place where, you know, agriculturally, the United States is a very lucky place. Oh, yeah. We feed multiple countries. We feed the world, basically. I mean, we have so much arable land, and we are really, really lucky. Um, and so if people are starving here, something is really messed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's and you're saying systemically. Yeah, and you're saying we just – because we don't. They have a, a wall around a lot of the info that comes out of – I think a lot of people, too, see what's going on. Like, oh, well, we have this. Invest a good 
investigative reporting on China's ghost cities. So we know that's happening. We know this is happening. The more I look at it, it seems like we have good reporting from leaks and people who really put their neck out on what's going on in eastern China. We don't really know much about what goes on in central or western China. There's so many cities. I mean, I remember when COVID started, people were like, oh, it came from Wuhan. And it's like, what's that? And I Googled it. Oh, a city that's as big as New York or something. <laughs> I've yeah. never even heard of it. There's so much that's going on there that we don't know. Yeah. So you're suggesting that the reason they're doing this is because they they might need to you're, because of eventually it could get pretty bad there. Yeah. I, I, to me, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, it's the simplest explanation. Right. And by Occam's razor, we know that it must be true. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> it has to be right. Yeah, <laughs> it has to be right. Well, one of the final kind of things I want to start talking about then is um, I'm proud to say that Moore's Law is Dead is sponsored by Ewin Gaming Chairs. Ewin makes dozens of customizable chairs for you. These chairs aren't just built for short-term comfort. They are built for long-term support, whether working or gaming. I didn't rush to make this ad. I actually gave it a bit of time to evaluate, and I can honestly say it's very comfortable, and assembly isn't that bad. Support Moore's Law is Dead and support your back by clicking the link in the description. And don't forget to use the code BROKENSILICON to save 20% on your order. I can fully recommend these chairs, and at least Reesey now has a nice one to sit on in future ads, but not as nice as mine. Buy Ewin Racing Gaming Chairs today. Well, let me just bring up this reader mail from Timo. He says, as I've learned, Russia wants to keep production domestic. China has SMIC for semiconductors, which despite plentiful funding, doesn't seem to be very good at making CPUs so far. And Intel has fabs and assembly and other things all over the world. So would the West get along without TSMC and Taiwan if it needed to? What would it mean to other continents? Uh, let's also add earthquakes and tsunamis as example for unexpected situations endangering an already brittle chain of semiconductors. Which one is more likely? And I think this is where it gets into an interesting discussion whether it involves China or not. What if a truly catastrophic earthquake happened and t Taiwan was just, I would say, knocked out of the game for a few years? Um, I mean, I've got my own opinions, like how bad, what, I, what picture would you paint? It, like, cause I think everyone says it would be the end of the world. It's like, it wouldn't be, but it would suck. Yeah. I'd make a comparison to oil actually. Mm. Um, both are commodities, but the United States, it doesn't matter whether you buy oil from Iraq or mm -hmm. OPEC countries at all. What matters is that somebody in the chain does right so in other words because you need a certain supply overall whether or not you buy it from that supplier so the u.s can create it enough oil for itself right but china buys its uh its oil from opec take away opec and prices in the united states will go up yeah. Right. Even though we are not buying that supply directly. Because I think because there's a lot that goes into like global oil that I think people don't understand. Like we actually, I think, produce most of the oil we use in the U.S. Yeah. Like it's not like it's not like when people say there's a war for oil. It's not like, no, we're not going to run out. It's just everything. Everything's made of plastic now, too. And oil is mm -hmm. used to make that. Mm -hmm. It's just things have just become so much more expensive. 
Yeah, I mean, and there does get a point, uh, get to a point where people literally won't be able to afford it, and you'd have rationing, and um, and everything's shipped using oil still, and so. everything's shipped using oil. So anyway, to use that as an analogy, let's say we never bought another microchip from Taiwan. Right. Let's say we were able to source them elsewhere. Well, we would source them at so much of a higher price because the overall mm. number of chips is lower. So just market forces, no matter what. Well, you know, they take effect and the prices become so high that there's rationing. That's how mm -hmm. you handle a situation like that. So, you know, you can't buy a new car. You have to be able to show a need to buy a new car. Mm -hmm. And know, during World the, War II, again, this isn't unfathomable. Exactly, people. Exactly. Less than 100 years ago, I think they said they just made tanks. I think not a new car was produced for about three years or something in the U.S., Things like tires and I mean, you know, they had these ration coupons, which I really recommend you watch Bugs Bunny. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> because a lot of old cartoons actually will have something really weird where you're like, whoa, what's that? Yeah, one of uh, my favorites is actually that uh, a bomber with yeah. bugs in it is going straight down uh, and it's an uncontrolled dive and everybody's about to die. And it stops less than a foot above the ground. And the reason is that, ah, well, that's what you get with these A cards. That means it <laughs> ran out of gas because an A card would only get you in a certain amount of gas. Mm -hmm. Everyone who watched it would have laughed their asses off. To us, that joke is totally That is lost. funny now that I understand the joke, by the way. That is pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's totally lost on us. But it just shows – there was rationing before um, there was rationing of food and everything else in the UK after World War II. Mm -hmm. We don't know what it's like to live like that. We only know about scarcity to the point of where it's like so expensive to buy a new car or people or, are actually taking homes. They uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, or at the grocery store. I remember during the, fir the first outbreaks of COVID, uh, my brother drove down from Boston and stayed with me in Peoria, Illinois. And so we like went to the grocery store there, high V, and it was just like, ah, oh, they're out of chicken thighs. Guess we'll eat breasts. <laughs> like it wasn't that bad, guys. It really wasn't that bad. No, um, you know, uh, you have the problem with toilet paper, which, by the way, is scarce again. Yeah. Uh, but scarce is not non-existent. Uh, there's panic buying again. It's these are false scarcities in a lot of ways. This is not what you would be dealing with mm -hmm. that in a way that uh, the oil supply was genuinely interrupted. The chip supply was genuinely interrupted. This would be much worse, honestly, than it is mm -hmm. now. Yeah, and I'll bring in another reader mail. Bfish writes in and says, let's assume China bombs Taiwan, or I think, well, we're past. Let's just assume TSMC is completely destroyed. From a purely supply chain standpoint, though, I'm guessing their volume could be somewhat absorbed by Samsung, Intel, Global Foundries. I know a lot of items are assembled in China, though, and the production could possibly be sent somewhere like Vietnam. It seems to me like things would become delayed, more expensive, and it would handicap certain firms more than others. Is there anything we get from Taiwan that is absolutely irreplaceable? And my answer is immediately yes but long answer no i mean right now amd and i don't know if you know this jason but like tsmc is just so ahead in semiconductor technology right now it's not even it basically goes them and then a tier below that is samsung and then intel and then global foundries is below those so it's like it right 
let me put it in perspective. The new iPhone, I'm told, actually has some sort of pseudo early four nanometer. It's marketed as five nanometer. But the point is they're making chips on that now that my processor is like half the capability. So if they were to make my graphics card at the node Apple has access to, it would probably just be straight up 50% better. If we were in my graph, my processors made it an inferior TSMC node. So if TSMC was knocked out of the game now, I mean, the, the, the alternatives would be, I think what you would see is there'd be a year of, you couldn't get almost any computer, like a year of PlayStation and Xbox going, Hmm, I guess we're going to port more games to last gen. Cause no one can buy PS fives right now. And then after that, there'd be a year of AMD making their latest stuff actually at like global foundries, maybe even Intel, um, if people can believe it. And all that stuff would be double the price in half and use double the energy compared to what it would be if it was at TSMC. And then two years after that, things would start to get better. But I, I think we'd have like a five-year slowdown in technological progression, honestly, and just years of not being able to buy anything. Yeah, that's a. I actually have a question for you along that line. Mm. When you're talking about these chips, I mean, my not just my television, but my refrigerator has you know semiconductors, microprocessors. It's got everything you want. Would I not be able to buy a refrigerator? I mean, you know, I can use my old computer, but if my refrigerator dies, it dies. <laughs> As far as I can tell, TSMC is about almost 30% of the world's, yeah, of the world's market share. So we have to remember is they make a lot of the most cutting edge stuff. Again, the cutting edge right now is like five nanometer class products. Um, and then behind that seven nanometer, that's what the Xbox is made with seven nanometer, which is 30, 40% worse. And then after that, it's mostly 16 and 12 nanometer Try to think of what is on that class. Still a lot of stuff you buy, but most of it's actually 28 nanometer or worse, like stuff that the PS3 was made on, like 90 nanometer, that type of stuff. That type of stuff is the other is like 50% of the world's production. So I think most refrigerators probably don't use cutting edge nodes. They have no reason to. And usually the processors cars use are, like I said, so if it goes five nanometer, seven, then 16. Most cars, I think, still use 12, 16 nanometer. You know, so that would be affected. Cars would be wildly affected. All computers, obviously, would be wildly affected. You know, there's only so much. for To put things in perspective for this reader mail question that I just went over, Samsung's 10% of the production, and then Global Foundries is seven. So they're not absorbing... They're combined, they're half as big as TSMC. <laughs> so they're not absorbing TSMC. I really think I, I really think just because a fourth of all world production is gone, you would have mass shortages with anything that needs a component, but that it would be more effective the more advanced it is, if that makes sense. So I think yeah. I think for half a year, everything would kind of stop being produced. Yeah. So that doesn't sound good. Um <laughs> no. it so does that make war more likely or less? That's actually an interesting question because I think anyone who's doing the war gaming will know what you just said. And are we going to bomb Taiwan knowing that we'll be destroying, you know, let's say the Chinese troops get there, then we have to bomb them and all this wonderful stuff. It's possible we could destroy TSMC, right? 
Mm-hmm. Well, they the Chinese could destroy it. It's bad for everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seems like, wow, just that one company is right. enough to avoid war. Which is why I think this is an interesting discussion without even bringing war into it, because it's worth talking about just how disruptive this would be if it was an earthquake, you know? Yeah. And I, it kind of gets me to, um, Carver Cry writes in, and he says, I see the prevention of conflict as far more important than mitigating the impacts of a possible conflict. Given this outlook, the U.S. move to bolster domestic leading-edge foundry capacity and thus decrease the dependence on ROC-based foundries, like the TSMC, UMC, is the wrong move, in my opinion. If the U.S. are dependent on ROC semiconductor manufacturing, does that not, in the eyes of PRC strategists, increase U.S. commitment to support them if a conflict would break out? It is especially dangerous, methinks, as U.S. domestic production can never suffice for the world, for the West, or even for the U.S. What are your thoughts on this? Does the U.S.'s move towards silicon independence paradoxically increase the fragility of leading edge silicon supply for the world and the U.S. itself? That's he a puts mouthful. a lot of thoughts. I know he puts a lot of thoughts into his questions. <laughs> so it does seem like it's a good reason to avoid war, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. uh, but but when we get then back to the sanctions issue, let's say, wouldn't we have to ban anything coming from China? Do we make mm-hmm. an exception for the superconductors? Uh, you know, or I'm sorry, not superconductors, but you know, semiconductors. Semiconductors, but, yeah. Right. Do we make an exception for that? Um, it just seems like, yeah, war is just, it's so funny. Having this conversation with you has made me think about something aside from, you know, just the cheap little objects that I have from China or the fact that my clothes mm-hmm. were all made in China or all Cause that it's not stuff. just the cheap stuff anymore. It's, it's, it's the mm-hmm. most expensive stuff actually we need from them. Yeah, exactly. So it's does make war sound even less likely to me, even if China does take over Taiwan or, and what you're saying about uh, earthquake does sound like it would be devastating. It seems like, there should be some sort of global policy for redundancy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? Doesn't seem like there should be some well, consortium or something that says that you know chips cannot be made in only one location. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's a good point. The problem is it turns into state, you know, company secrets. Like TSMC is very happy with the money they're making. Yeah. With the fact that they've been able to, and it was hard work. The R and D they did, the engineers toiled to get them to the cutting edge. I think Intel could catch up to them in five years, but it's a while, you know, of just one company really making stuff that, if you made it at another person's fab, would use double the energy, you know. So use economic incentives to have them build a plant in the United States. Which they are. They're building yeah. in Arizona now, and it won't be ready till 2024. <laughs> and that's one fab out well, of like so, 20 or so, you know. <laughs> so if only the war waits until mm-hmm. 2024 or no earthquake comes till 2024, we're good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you. Yeah, I, I would say it sounds like you disagree with them. And I do, too, that it's not even about war, that we just we need to build more stuff in the U.S., not yeah. even just for ourselves, but so we can build stuff for Mexico. Mexico should probably have its own fabs. Everyone should probably be trying to get TSMC and Samsung, who makes pretty cutting edge stuff too. 
fabs in other places because it's just especially with you know expected you know more super storms coming from climate change and stuff it's just ridiculous to have everything in one area anymore like i don't think anyone planned this to happen you know that there'd be one company out of nowhere in a geopolitical tense situation on an earthquake fault line that everything depends on it just kind of happened yeah yeah you're you're totally right and when we're talking about semiconductors, there are also just a million other products. I think we should remind people that also are made in one location or another. Um, you know, let's just say that TV manufacturing was taken out in mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in, uh, in South Korea, for example. Right. They make the panels for, for a lot of companies. Right. I mean, so even if it's not quite as high tech or but, you know, you can't get a TV in Europe. I mean, you wouldn't be able to. You wouldn't be able to get one in the United States. It's uh, We are so both distributed and concentrated. Things are made often in one location because, but we're, you know, we are distributed in that we are anticipating that everyone will be able to take from that one location and spread it all mm-hmm. over the world, right? I mean, it's just the interconnectedness that everyone's now been talking about forever. Uh, I don't, it just seems like the consequences of a big enough disaster are more dire than people are thinking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in terms of real world consequences, um, all of the stuff that we take for granted, all the stuff that we enjoy using, <laughs> the most high tech stuff seems like yeah, I mean, you've got choke points and threats. Mm-hmm. Which, again, just to reiterate, I kind of my main point talking about this is I just think people need to be ready that nothing is ever actually the end of the world. World War true, One wasn't true. the end of the world. World War Two wasn't the end of the world. If an earthquake swallowed Taiwan, if some war broke out over Taiwan and they couldn't make anything for a year, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But it would be one year of, oh, I guess that's how many PlayStation 5s, iPhones, and Xboxes exist. We can't really do anything about it. You can't buy any new yeah. phones. And because of that also, you can't buy most new cars. And also, it's hard to get a refrigerator even now. And then in a year after that, it's, oh, we're making new stuff. This is the new PS5 Victory Edition. <laughs> it's made in the United States. It uses double the energy and heats up your whole room and (laughs) it costs twice as much, but it's made in the USA. And then I think two years after that is when things would start coming back to normal, but it really wouldn't be back to normal for six years. It would just be complete disruption of like, you know, what's the next Zen or Intel processor to come out, Mm -hmm. but we would get there. It would just be a crappy few years. And I think it'd be a lot of like when it comes to video game companies of, well, it looks like we're going to have to make do with weaker hardware for this next game. <laughs> well, let me ask you, though. I mean, when we're when we take out any of these things, if we take out the high end processors, we take out. OK, we don't have cars. We don't have. Doesn't it have knockback effects on the rest of the economy, too? Oh, yeah. It'd be worse than the oil shortages in the 70s with the food shortages of whatever combined. It'd be. It'd be, it'd be, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and and it's funny though. You, we talk about this like, okay, we wait until 2024, and then things wouldn't be as bad. It's like, well, I think it's all relative. At Intel's new innovation event, they were showing how they're building these like six-wheel human-sized 
delivery FedEx machines that run on their new 10 nanometer tiger like processors. I think those are made in the US, so that's good news. But like <laughs> what happens when like all mail is delivered by machines and we can't make new machines to deliver mail? So you're saying it would be wor- it'd be better in five or ten years. I'm not so sure if everything uses silicon mm-hmm. then. Because everything well, will use silicon then. It doesn't actually right. now. There's still a mailman. Well, so I'm now going to do a very quick advertisement for the subscription tier of <laughs> Angry Planet because we actually just did an episode uh, that I'm going to put out today on pretty much exactly this. Uh, if, if people have read Foundation or they're watching on TV uh, as it comes out on Apple, uh, Isaac Asimov's classic, the whole basis of Foundation is technology that people can't replace. The empire falls because the understanding of the technology that that people have, people just don't, the technical expertise is gone. Mm. The source and supplies of a lot of this technology is gone. And things start to just crumble. Um, And, you know, finally, uh, the empire itself entirely crumbles. So Rome hires German soldiers and doesn't even have its own military anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, um, it doesn't seem crazy that that could happen, but you know, none of it has. I'm going to mm-hmm. actually be optimistic for a second, which I never am. But you know, we've had so many disasters that we've expected over the last fifty years, and things don't tend to ever get quite as bad as we think. No, every generation thinks that they live at the end of the world. They do, and, and people need to remember that. I mean, my God, and. My mom talks about she grew up in the Cold War as well. She's like, no, we thought there could be a nuclear war, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I guess the exception is the 90s. The 90s, for some reason, they called it the end of history. That's like the one decade where, for some reason, humans got it in this head. Not only is it not the end of the world, but everything will always be perfect, and we can just, you know, go to a a concert (laughs) or something. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, things looked pretty good there for a little while. They mm-hmm. really did. I can tell you, you know, from a person who was uh, a full adult at the time and actually owned a piece of the Berlin Wall because they were selling them. And I thought this <laughs> would course. be a very cool thing to own. What an, so. By the way, to any Russians listening, which we do, they would say, what an American thing to sell pieces of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> exactly Thank you so right. much. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Uh, yeah, anything to make a buck. But yeah, those uh, those were heady times there for a little while. But um, you know, real politic uh, reasserted itself. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I, I guess, if there was one thing to close on to, then I would say that I don't think things are ever going to be as bad as we think they will. And in fact, it's just so important to remind people that, from the perspective of a world leader in the 1800s, we've accomplished everything. Like. I think in 1900, the literacy rate in the United States was, I believe, 15, 20%. And I think the extreme poverty rate in the United States in the 1800s was 90%. So that means 90% extreme poverty is defined um, internationally, typically as not having enough food or shelter or water or security. One of those you don't have, you're in extreme poverty. Maybe you have water and a place to live, you don't have food. Maybe you have food, but you're homeless. You know, that's considered extreme poverty. 90% of the US was extreme poverty before 1900. And now it's like five or 10%. 
you would, I don't think, five, yeah, it's got to be like 5% at most. So I would say that from the perspective of a world leader in the 1800s, we have world peace. We have <laughs> a world, a world hunger has been solved. I would say 95%, that's an A. What are you talking about? We were at 10% 100 years ago. I think from the perspective of previous generations, things are great. But then people also need to understand they're never going to be perfect, and you're always going to have to do hard work. There's never going to be a point where it's like, well, we made this system, we can walk away. We're going to have to always do something about something. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, the down note here, and that, by the way, that's the name of our newsletter, the down note, uh, is that, you know, if you are one of those people in the 10%, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that it, and that it shouldn't be acceptable though. See, because yes, again, exactly. from an old steel baron's perspective, he would say, I was mad when my workers wanted more than a meal a day and now they have three. What are you guys even complaining about anymore? But <laughs> you know, it's still, it's still not acceptable to have, you know, some of those things going on that could be made better. All right. Well, I think I have a few other reader mails, but I think really this is a good place to close it on. Um, I think we pretty much hit what, how bad a shortage would be <laughs> adequately and what we think could happen. I really want to thank you for coming on, Jason. This was, I really enjoyed this conversation and I'll let you once again, plug as many things as you want. I know there's at least one thing you're a part of that I can't recommend enough. Well, thank you very much. Uh, hey, look, it was great to come on and talk about this stuff. I appreciate the fact that you tried to nail me down when I tried to squirm. Uh, <laughs> you know, not everybody uh, does that, and I think that's great. Uh, yeah, so we have Angry Planet, the podcast. We have a newsletter. We have a subscription tier. And I also wrote a novel about the Holocaust a few years ago, which I think everyone might enjoy if you can enjoy a book about the Holocaust. That well, I mean, <laughs> not to be a jerk, but you're assuming they can or you wouldn't have wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Um, As an well, American capitalist that you are. <laughs> that's right. Um, well, yeah, unfortunately, I was wrong about that. But it's called Death and Twilight. And if you want to okay. make my day, buy a single – buy one copy. If you really want to make my week, buy 10. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll put that in the description as well. Um, thank, thank you, you for coming on, Jason. And thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you very much. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans... Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, 
please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Mellon, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lena Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, Metrocore, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337, Antics, The Ninth Duke, Jesse Jess Kowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Levo Kinkilo, Vapoy Deseru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, hey, there's a kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Ivan214, John Jameson, Sam Vensel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licato, Michael McGee, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan Ross, Original Ross, Anthony Gareffa, Joachim Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S. C. Jitz, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Sue Taylor, Trevor Power, Stu, Alenia, Nanan, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dan, Dane Galinowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Brett Summers, Blake, Donovan Russell, Noah Nicoella, Zlicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy So, Michelle Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valcom Alev, Gabe Langner, Rodney, Kaluk, Souza, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, Mai Sharona, Y. Troy, Roman, WW, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Mead and Pork, Jimmy and G. Mads, Gordon Freeman, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, with Shield TV, Kut. Udo, Aaron, John Wisink, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.